Hey everybody, it is Wednesday, August 26th, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Azalek, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. It's been, what, two-ish months since the last episode, last, last episode of the show. Clearly, I'm a bit rusty. Apologies for delays. Uh, folks, I've been busy. I got a new full-time job that took a little bit of personal life adjustment, uh, and I also bought a brand new, well, used car. Uh, So we'll talk about the car thing in a moment, but uh, it's been a weird trip these past couple of weeks, uh, just getting life back to normal. Uh, I have basically been out of regular work since uh, the end of November. As many of you know, I used to work for a large brewing company uh, here in Michigan. Uh, Unfortunately, that job fell apart in a way that wasn't particularly great, and I'm sure I will elaborate at length about that situation uh, come November when it's been a year. But uh, yeah, it is good to be back to work. It is weird being back in corporate retail, and it is it is especially weird to be doing all of this right now during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we work at a store that's normally pretty busy. We have been uh, way down in foot traffic, but our sales have been way up, and we've actually been one of the top five busiest stores in the country for the past couple of weeks. It is stranger than fiction. Uh, But then again, I suppose what is normal right now, there is really no going back. So more than anything, I'm just happy to have a job. I'm happy to be at work and I'm happy to have the ability uh, to put myself behind the wheel of a new to me used car. Uh, If you think back or reflect back on previous episodes, we've talked a lot about things that I was looking at from you know, a Mitsubishi Montero to a Fiat 500e. Uh, There's been a number of things like the Toyota Highlander Hybrid, uh, the Toyota Camry Hybrid, a Prius, uh, BMW i3, so many more things. And where it all ended up landing uh, is a 2011 Chevrolet Volt. Uh, Those of you who've known me uh, shouldn't be particularly surprised that I ended up with one, an American car, and two, uh, a GM vehicle. I come from a long, long line of GM family members. Uh, My grandpa has been buying GM products since 1962 when he got his first Impala. Uh, My dad has almost always had a Chevrolet with exception of, I think, two cars in his life. Uh, Basically, it's weird to be driving A, a GM vehicle, and B, a Chevrolet to appease my family in a roundabout way. But the truth of the matter is, I've wanted a Volt for a very, very long time. And it being a 2011 Volt, I've got the first model year. Uh, My car is number 3,330 that was built in April of 2011. So it is an early car in the run. And it really kind of boils down to not only owning something that I was curious about, but also, uh, you know, getting something that answers a couple weird questions about where the car market is today. Uh, one, with the car market being so weird, what exactly does $10,000 buy you in 2020? Two, 
how do older EVs and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles hold up uh, after 10 years of use, around 100,000 miles of use? And then three, you know, what's it like dipping your toes into the green EV world? Uh, so, you know, first things first, $10,000 being the price point. I paid under 10 for this car. I got a screaming deal at a uh, Chevy dealership up in the greater Lansing area. Um, I, this car ended up being about $750 under market. Uh, there was one small kind of issue where the car got uh, in a rear fender bender uh, where I think it was a truck hit the back end of the car just cracked the rear fender. It, it, it put a little chip in the rear glass tailgate. Uh, but other than that, no discernible damage done to the vehicle. Um, the leather, I mean, this car has every option box ticked on it. It's got the full leather interior. It's got the navigation system with the DVD player. It's got the front and rear parking sensors. Uh, it's got the uh, heated seats. It's got the 17-inch chrome wheels, and it's got the white diamond tri-coat paint. Uh, so basically, every high-dollar option was selected on this one, uh, and it genuinely feels like a luxury car to some extent. I will put a little bit of a grain of salt on that and say that compared to our 2004 Toyota Camry XLE, the Camry is definitely a much more comfortable car on long distance drives. Uh, but you know, the Volt holds its own in some different ways. Uh, that also being said, it's also weird kind of going back in time, uh, in terms of technology, uh, to a car that is still reliant on CDs, uh, USB drives and line in cords. Uh, this particular Chevy Volt does not have Bluetooth audio streaming. It does not have any kind of app integration that works anymore. Uh, it doesn't have OnStar that works properly uh, quite the same way. It's, it's very, very strange to be in something that winds the clock back just far enough where it feels kind of out of date, but not completely out of date in 2020. Uh, but you know, I mean, considering what else I could have gotten for $10,000, high mileage, luxury versions of a Camry, uh, you know, high mileage, uh, Lexuses, other things, you know, those would have been good. Those would have been really smart buys in terms of, you know, outright reliability, dependability, stuff like that. Uh, but the truth of the matter is the Volt, you know, is going to crush them in terms of fuel economy. The Volt is actually one of the most reliable used cars that you can buy. And, you know, I don't really have to pay for any mechanical work to be done, God willing, uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, this particular car, when I got it, uh, was averaging about 97 miles per gallon, which is a little low for the Volt community on the whole, um, but, you know, not unprecedented. You know, being in the greater Lansing area, there's a lot of country roads and highways that you got to go down to get things done, and it doesn't really surprise me that the car was driven uh, in a way to drag that fuel economy down a bit. Uh, I actually pulled the fuel economy all the way down to about 90 for the first week or so that I have it or had it uh, getting used to the charging flow and what it was like to take it into work and charge it and so much else. But uh, we're starting to bring that number back up. We're at about 93 miles per gallon now. Uh, I've been averaging about 180, 190 miles per gallon. Um, it really seems to be dependent on, you know, what I'm doing day to day and how the weather has been. 
which gets me to point number two, uh, which is, you know, what's it like owning a EV uh, that is hitting 100,000 miles is, you know, about 10 years old. And I have to say, for the most part, I'm not noticing any significant battery degradation. Um, the Volt, when it was originally sold in 2011, had a certified range of about 35 miles of electric power. I'm getting about 32, 33, um, but that is with the weather being, you know, in the 90s, uh, upper 80s, low 90s, with very, very high humidity, very not the kind of weather you'd usually expect this time of year. Well, I guess it kind of sort of is. I don't know. It's been unreasonably hot the past couple of weeks having this car. Um, so the range hasn't quite been there. Um, just the same, the car also only has a 3.3 kilowatt hour onboard charger. So it's sucking juice, uh, you know, basically from a fire hydrant uh, with, you know, a bendy straw in it. So it's really not able to suck down the power. Um, but when I have had it plugged in either at a charge point system or using 120 volt at work, um, I am noticing some pretty significant heat losses uh, with the car, uh, just because, again, it's been so hot. It's not completely surprising. Um, but, you know, it's usually a good hour, hour and a half difference between what the car says it's going to take to charge and what it actually ends up being in the real world, which isn't completely convenient. But, you know, for me, who has uh, a round trip commute of about 20 miles give or take a little bit uh, from home to work and back. Um, a lot of that done at country road speeds of around uh, 45 to 55 miles an hour. Um, you know, it's been great. I, I have only purchased about eight gallons of gas since I got it new uh, on July 16th. Uh, so it's saved me a pretty decent amount of money considering that, you know, I've spent less than $20 on gas. I've gone over a thousand miles. Uh, that's, that's pretty substantial. And, you know, even when the car does cost a little bit more than what I wanted to pay in terms of car payment and a little bit more of what I wanted to pay in terms of insurance, it's totally made up for and not having to pay for gas and, you know, repairs and other things, it's it's going to break even pretty quickly, uh, I think, in terms of total cost. Uh, but, you know, getting to that last point where what's it like dipping your toes into the EV world, I think I'm very, very happy that I didn't end up buying a full EV. Uh, my neighborhood that I live in is not prepared for the EV revolution. They are not looking to put in a charger. Uh, anywhere close to the immediate future that it's on their roadmap, I guess, in the, in the, in the long term, but in 2020, it's not going to be happening. Uh, I've talked to the mall that I work at. They are not looking to put in charges right away, but again, it's something that they're looking into doing. Uh, so, you know, if I would have had a full EV, they, it just really would not have worked, especially if I would have been looking at something like a Leaf or a Fiat 500e uh, or even a BMW i3 with the full battery. Uh, just having that around of 100 or so miles of range just would not have worked, especially when you start getting into hot weather like we've had uh, and the colder temps that are going to be coming uh, in November and December and January. So, you know, getting into the flow of what it's like to charge the car has been a bit of an adjustment. And it's something that I think is going to potentially wane just a little bit when the temps really take a nosedive. Uh, and by that, I mean, 
I've kind of had to come up with some workarounds to charge. Like I said, we don't have a way to charge it here at home. So I'm basically reliant on my employers for juice for the car. My main employer right now uh, is a pretty big retail store. Uh, I basically got to go ahead right after buying the car to, you know, bring in your own plug, plug it in back here. If you want to run the cord out the back door and do your thing with your car charger, go ahead. It's fine by us. It costs us, you know, couple of dollars a day grand scheme of things not going to really make too much of a difference so they've been totally fine with it uh, i have gotten the majority of my charging done uh, off the back door at work uh, the local honda dealership which is about a uh, better part of a mile uh, from my job it's definitely walkable it's kind of a pain when it's been this hot but uh, they have a rapid charger so if i go drop the car off uh, when I'm on my lunch break, uh, typically the car is done just before I'm ready to clock out for the day. And that's worked when I've got the car drained all the way to zero. Uh, my other job, which is very, very close to my house, um, which is probably going to be a part-time job I keep for a while. Um, they gave me the go-ahead before coronavirus to uh, plug in my car as needed. Uh, the weird thing is, is that their outlets on the building only turn on when the lights are on after sunset. So uh, in the summertime, peak summertime, uh, I was getting, you know, an hour or two of charging done at night before I'd have to go pick the car up and bring it home. Uh, but as the sunset gets, uh, earlier and earlier in the evening, I'm able to really add a lot of miles back to the car. And that's been um, a pretty nice thing. And again, it adds to me not having to buy gasoline. And again, I thank my employers for being totally okay for, uh, footing the couple of dollars uh, a day or a week to uh, keep my car going. That's been really great. But, you know, even if I didn't have to plug in at home, it's pennies on the dollar compared to, uh, you know, gallons of gasoline. And even with gas so cheap, you know, I'm still saving quite a bit of money at day's end. Um, but you know, there's still a few things wrong with the car. Uh, like I said, it's an early build vehicle. It's got an interior panel that's not quite aligned correctly. Um, part of me wonders if it's a little bit of a trick of the eye at the angle that it's at and with some of the light that comes off the dashboard of the Volt. Um, it's bothersome only in that I see it sometimes. Um, but you know, really not an overall critique of the vehicle. Uh, there are some, you know, scrapes, dents, dings, scratches, whatever you'd expect for a 10-year-old car. Like I said, it was involved in that small uh, accident on the rear of the vehicle. So there's a crack on the rear bumper that you can see that was filled and repainted. It's really only noticeable if you're looking very specifically, but generally you can't see it and it really doesn't bother me. Um, and then the other thing is just been getting used to the car being so quiet and then hearing noises that you don't necessarily expect to hear. Um, so there is this I'm going to use the words scraping sound, which sounds a lot worse than what it is. I think there's either a stone in one of the rear brake calipers that I can't quite get to, or uh, there's a wheel bearing starting to go bad. It's one of the two, not the end of the world. Uh, something that you might expect at 100,000 miles, at least with the wheel bearings. Uh, but, you know, all things being considered, I came out ahead on price. If I have to pay a couple hundred bucks to get that fixed. I'm totally, totally okay with it. So I will keep you guys updated as things come along with the Volt. Uh, but so far, you know, things are good. Uh, it's been pretty great. I'm definitely interested to see what kind of uh, mileage we get once the temperatures start to cool down and I have to run the air conditioner a lot less frequently. Uh, that's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. 
But anyway, this is a show about uh, new cars and new car news and other things that are going on. So uh, today's episode, we're going to touch on some things that all kind of revolve around EVs and plug-in hybrids and many other things. Uh, So we got stories from uh, GM, Lucid, Tesla, as well as Mitsubishi uh, talking about some news and uh, potentially uh, one more thing as well. So after the bump, we'll get into some of the news. Well, it's time for the news, and like I said, it's all kind of related to EVs and plug-in hybrids and the many, many changes that are coming uh, to the marketplace that we're seeing today. Uh, One little programming note, I guess Michigan Radio is going to be running a story about uh, hybrids, electric vehicles, and other stuff tomorrow. I'm really interested in hearing uh, what they're going to talk about because I guess they're talking to one of the people in the state who monitors car stuff in terms of like paying for things i'm really broadly paying over this because i was uh listening to the radio in the car and not 100 percent paying attention but it caught my caught my little ear holes uh just as the little story was uh being touched on before they moved into things so uh yeah if you are curious at all uh, maybe that'll be something worth listening to in the next day or so nevertheless uh boy getting into All right, getting into the actual news, uh, we'll start with General Motors and Chevrolet. Uh, GM has two new electric vehicles to announce that are going to be coming uh, within the next week or so. I think the debut is September 8th or 9th, so I think it's the end of the week next week. Uh, They're going to be pulling the wraps off the new uh, Chevrolet Bolt and the new Bolt EUV. Uh, basically, these are going to be second-generation vehicles. I don't know if they're going to be based on an all-new architecture or not that's related to their uh, new battery technology. It seems like they might be, but I'm not 100% sure. Nevertheless, uh, it's big news simply because the Bolt has been a relative success in the market. Uh, the Bolt beat Tesla to the $35 or $35,000 threshold. Uh, the Bolt was one of the first cars to have over 200 miles of range in that price or uh, in that price segment. Uh, the Bolt was one of the fastest selling electric vehicles for a decent amount of time. And the second generation vehicle hopefully learns some lessons from that one and kind of expands into being a much more practical car for more people. Uh, When you kind of look at it, you know, hindsight being 2020, is that the Bolt was the right platform with the right capabilities, but it was the wrong shape of vehicle. Uh, It being kind of a tweener-sized car between that of like, I don't know, it was a little bit bigger than the Cruze, but not quite as big as the Volt. I don't know, it's a confusing sized car. But it also being a hatchback wasn't a particularly appealing thing, especially when you get into premium segment buyers who are really drawn into the Model 3, uh, especially within the past year or so. Uh, and I hope that some of these improvements coming to the Volt or Bolt, um, you know, really make it a knockout choice going forward. Uh, I think the Bolt 
is a great looking car inside and out even today even today uh, I think it would be a great step beyond my volt going to a bolt at some point um, because you know honestly you know for the range that you get which I think is like 250 ish miles uh, for the amount of money that you pay it's tough to beat the drawback of course is that it's a front wheel drive car that you know, isn't super exciting to look at or drive compared to a Tesla. And yeah, I I think GM on the whole is really just not looking to go after Tesla. They're looking to do something else. And, you know, around 35-ish thousand dollars, you know, I'm hoping they can really nail that down further. They can drive that price point down even more. I think they can really start building a better base because it does seem like people are interested in EVs, but it's largely a question of one, supply, which Tesla doesn't always seem to have, and two, price, which they've really, you know, pulled back on. You know, Tesla promised a $35,000, 200-plus mile range car, and they've built some, and you have to special order it, but they're really genuinely not on hand. And that really seems like a sleight of hand move that really frustrates me um, as a car person. And it really frustrates me as somebody who's, you know, getting deeper and deeper into EVs. And, you know, the Bolt, I, I think, could be it. Now, the EUV version of the Bolt is kind of the thing that we've all known is coming to some extent. Uh, I think for me, yeah, it's kind of inevitable that they were going to build a crossover out of the Bolt. I don't think it's necessarily the most offensive thing that they could do. I think the question for me is, how much of a compromise are you making for this particularly particular body style and ride height versus range and overall performance. Does this mean that you're getting a dual motor system? Does this mean that, you know, they're going to be able to pack more juice into it because you're willing, you've got a little bit more space to compromise in terms of putting more battery stuff in there. Um, It's kind of a weird thing to be considering. Uh, The other weird thing is that there seems to be some hubbub that the Bolt EV is going to end up being an import of some of the Chinese model EVs that have debuted in the past year. Uh, Buick has a car that's based loosely off the Bolt and some of this technology uh, that sells for like less than $20,000 US, I think is what it is, or maybe it's less than 30. It's cheap as chips. Uh, and it's got over 200 miles of range and it seems pretty well designed and well built. And so some people are thinking that this Bolt EUV is basically going to be that with a little bit more of a high riding suspension. Other people just go, well, it's going to be a Bolt with just more height and maybe a little more length. And I guess it doesn't really matter either way. I think the big question is, is Chevy going to be able to put out a version of this to go against the Model Y, you know, have about 300 miles of range, be under $40,000? Is it going to be sporty like the Mustang Mach-E, or is it going to be more normal like the Audi e-tron or the Mercedes EQC? You know, where is it going to fit in this multitude, this multiverse, I don't know, of, of EV options? And it's hard to pick out, suss out what exactly is the right move. I'm personally of the mind that I think if Chevy just builds a normal ass crossover that happens to be able to do 300 miles of range, happens to be under $40,000 to start with the kind of options that you'd expect in a car like this, 
I think they've got an easy winner. And I think if they control the number of options and configurations you can do, ultimately they're going to end up building a car that's affordable, easy to build, lower cost on their end, and makes the greatest amount of people happy. Um, but, you know, we'll see. GM has got so many other weird things going on with EVs right now, including the Lyric crossover that they showed from Cadillac, which I actually really like in terms of looks and style. The interior looks really interesting and neat. Uh, the platform is going to be really cool. The battery technology is really interesting. Uh, GM's got a lot on their plate when it comes to batteries and platforms and other things. And you know, I think if you start spreading your cards out on the table, you want to start playing top trumps on who's got what. I think GM secretly might have the best hand right now, simply because they know how to build these things and they've been building good EVs and plug-in hybrids for the past 10 years that you know, this new battery technology, this new platform, they're going to be able to deliver low-cost, reliable vehicles to as many people as possible versus somebody like Tesla who's getting into deeper and deeper niches, as we'll talk about in a little bit, or Lucid who's got some crazy technology that's not going to really be widely available. Um, all while everyone is doing that, you know, they're all racing against a Chinese market that is looking to push outside of that country and into North America and will eventually put a significant amount of pressure on companies like GM, Ford, and Stellaris uh, when it comes to, you know, building EVs for the everyman. Um, just kind of expanding on that, just as I'm thinking about it, GM has a... Uh, joint venture EV that they sell and build in China that is, I think it starts at like less than $5,000. Um, it's a small car. It's a city car. I think it's got less than 70 miles of range. But like considering that you're buying a car with airbags, with seat belts, with a CD player, you know, with the stuff that you'd expect in a modern car for like four to $7,000 with 70 miles of range, what a great deal. I hope somewhere, some someplace, somebody at GM's going, hey, can we sell this here? Can we do this as like a short-term lease thing? Can we do this as like a car share thing? Uh, look into it, GM, because if Citroen can make it work in France, you can make this Chinese thing work here. I'm very, very interested in seeing this thing in person. So just, just bring one to the U.S. and let us go touch it and look at it. That would be really cool. But anyway, sliding back into the battery technology, other things that are going on. Uh, Lucid is a electric car company that's been floating around for the past few years. They had a big splash at CES. I think it was 2017 or 18 where they showed off a car uh, that's meant to compete with the Model S. Uh, they have said specifically they are going after the Model S and the German luxury options with this car. Uh, the Lucid Air is going to be an interesting entry into the segment because of some of the technology stuff that they've been uh, slowly releasing over the past week. Uh, Lucid has developed their own electric motors, uh, programming, battery technology, so much else. Uh, and the first little tidbit that they put out was that uh, the car on the EPA test for EVs uh, was able to achieve 517 miles of range. That is important because Tesla just got the Model S, and I think 
I think it was the Model S, recertified for just over 400 miles of range. Uh, fairly impressive when you consider that, you know, competing gasoline cars do about that. Uh, but at 517, you know, you're starting to get into diesel territory of fuel economy. And Lucid is also saying that this new battery set that they have is more compact, it's more energy dense, uh, it's going to be able to charge more quickly. Um, it's a 113 kilowatt hour battery that's, you know, again, trying to go after Tesla. They're saying it's going to be zero to 60 in two and a half seconds with a thousand horsepower of output. Um, really, they seem to be kind of going for it. Uh, as much as I give Lucid a lot of shit on Twitter for really not showing anything over the past three years. It does seem to indicate that the previous investment of $1 billion from the uh, Saudi Arabian government has been put to good use. They are getting ready to uh, you know, roll more pre-production cars off the assembly line, and it looks like that they are probably going to deliver on uh, some of these cars being on the road sometime next year. Uh, they are moving is a good way to put it. And I'm very excited to see what Lucid has going for it in the future. Um, but you know, this again comes at a time where, you know, Lucid's doing their thing. Rivian's got their thing going. There's Lordstown, which I think is a whole huge farce. Uh, Xpeng is talking about getting into the American market. You've got Neo still talking about the American market. Uh, so many car companies, want to get in this space of that forty dollars to $60,000 vehicle, and in some cases less, that have, you know, 300 plus miles of range and can do all these wonderful things. But, you know, if you don't have the charging network or you don't have the, the, the distance capability, you know, you're really pigeonholing you on what kind of sales you can do. And it's really going to be interesting to see, interesting to see what Lucid can pull off uh, in the shadow of Tesla, because of course, Tesla shares crossed the $2,000 threshold today. Uh, and part of that was spurred by news from Elon that they are planning to do a lot more things for the company. That being said, you know, Elon likes to talk shit and he talks shit a lot. And it is incredibly frustrating because you know that he's talking shit just to keep the stock price high. Uh, they have been selling a lot of Model 3s. They have been selling a lot of Model Ys. They are delivering both at pretty solid rates. Uh, they have indicated that the semi-truck is going to be the next big thing that they do. Then the Roadster or the Cybertruck somehow fits in there. Uh, things keep getting kicked back and forth in different directions. Now today, in a conference call, uh, basically Musk was saying that the ID3 in Europe is going to mount a significant threat to the Model Y that they don't know that they can fight uh, at that price point. Uh, the Model Y starts uh, at about, or sorry, the Model 3, excuse me, starts at about 47,000 euros, which is about, I think, 10 or 15,000 uh, dollars equivalent more than what a Model 3 would be in the U.S. Uh, they are building a Tesla factory in Germany that's going to be able to crank out cars. Uh, but right now, you know, you got to pay more for a Tesla in Europe than you do here in America. Uh, the ID3 from Volkswagen costs about thirty-five-ish thousand dollars for a two hundred-mile range car. Um, 
all things considered, you know, the ID3, the early reviews have been very, very positive. A lot of people are talking about it as a game changer in the same way that the Beetle and the Golf was in the, you know, 40s and in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, the ID3, you know, they're coming for the crown and they got to get ready to fight. And I think Volkswagen is ready to do that. Uh, the big question is whether or not Tesla is going to be able to fend it off because when you start looking at what content is standard, what ranges look like, reliability, dependability, serviceability, all those other things, you know, Tesla starts taking a lot of hits uh, from Volkswagen. And uh, Musk had said today that they're looking at building a sub Model 3 to more effectively compete with the ID3 in Europe and potentially uh, undercut that car and its uh, sibling, the ID4, uh, in other parts of the world. To me, really, the question becomes is what is a sub Model 3 in? the Tesla lineup. Uh, there've been sketches and other things tossed around by fanboys for quite some time about what this could be like. And the truth of the matter is, is that I really have no clue. Uh, you know, on a very extreme end, I almost see Tesla doing something like the, uh, what was it? It was the Genesis mint concept from a year or two ago, where it was a two seat electric city car. That's more about fashion and, you know, being reasonable for two adults in an urban space, uh, you know, versus something like, uh, a model three, which is essentially a sporty family sedan, you know, I could see them doing something like that and, you know, sticking to some of the sporty roots of the Model 3 um, and, you know, using a lot of off-the-shelf parts and design language to make something, you know, work. But then again, the question becomes, how much cheaper can it be than a Model 3 when they already can't deliver a cheap Model 3 to begin with? The other angle I could see them doing is, you know, going for something like a front-wheel drive, you know, basic two or three box design that it it just kind of works, if that makes sense, building building their VW Golf, building their Honda Civic, building their Toyota Corolla, um, you know, making it a little bit smaller than the Model 3, making it a little more compromised, you know, taking some cheaper alternatives to how they do certain things uh, and ultimately building a car for the people that, I think they have the capability of doing, but I don't know if Tesla would ever build a front wheel drive thing because every time a Tesla motor and battery has been adapted for use in a front wheel drive thing, it's never been good. I'm speaking of the uh, Mercedes-Benz B-Class E, whatever the hell they called it, uh, the Toyota RAV4 electric. Uh, it's never been particularly good. So I don't really know where they could go in terms of that. But yeah, it, it's it's a weird question to ask. And it's weird that he's proposing this as the ID3 begins to launch in Europe. Um, it sounds like they are definitely concerned about the European market with the ID3. Um, I think the ID4 is definitely going to pose a threat to the Model Y sales when that eventually becomes available here in North America sometime next year. Uh, I think I would be worried about the Mach-E I don't know why he's not really acknowledging that. The Mach-E starts at like three or four grand cheaper than a Model Y. It comes with better standard equipment than the Model Y. Uh, you know, I mean, pick and choose your battles, I guess. But uh, I, I tend to believe that Volkswagen, like GM, has an upper hand that we are not completely seeing. And, uh, you know, time 
will tell. I mean, inevitably, Tesla is going to have its market share eaten by other car companies. And that's what Musk had said that he wanted ages and ages and ages ago. So, you know, in the end, it'll work out. You know, I think Tesla is going to continue to be a force for positive change in the marketplace. I think they are going to continue to be a technology leader. I think they are going to unquestionably be the best electric vehicle that you can buy in most cases. That being said, I think the alternatives are starting to pose very interesting questions against Tesla and are making solid cases for themselves in certain aspects that, you know, ultimately, you know, that time marches on, you know, other things are going to come to light and be the, the vehicles of choice. So I'm really curious to know what this sub-Model 3 is going to be. But, you know, if anything's going to be happening, it's going to be five or six years from now. So I don't see anything happening anytime soon. Uh, last little bit of news is about a car that is very close, near and dear to my heart, and that is the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Now, we've had the Outlander PHEV in the U.S. for, I think, two years now. I think it was late 2018, early 2019 when they went on sale. And there was an article today that they talked about in Jalopnik where uh, it is the slowest selling vehicle in the United States, uh, which really makes me sad. Uh, the average day, days to sell is about 198 days on dealer lots. These things are just not moving. Dealers are taking as much as $10,000 off the top of MSRP to get these things out the door. So while these things might tag for around thirty-five dollars to $40,000, people are paying about twenty-five. dollars to $30,000, which seems like an absolute steal. Uh, all things considered, the Outlander is an out-of-date crossover. No one is going to argue that point. That being said, the powertrain that's underneath it is actually pretty solid and fairly capable when you consider that it is a four-wheel drive system. Uh, the car can do about 22, 24-ish miles on electric before it switches to hybrid power. Um, you know, it's enough. You know, Someone like me who has a 20 mile round trip each day, I could do it on electric uh, going from home to work and back. If I had a way to charge at home, it would be absolutely perfect for me, especially when the winter months come. Um, but the thing is, is that technology is largely leapfrogging this thing uh, as it sits on dealer lots. Uh, I believe Mitsubishi has an updated version of the Outlander PHEV lined up for uh Europe and Asia and potentially North America as early as next year um, with an updated battery chemistry and a much longer uh, electric range. But as of right now, you know, it just kind of is what it is. What is particularly interesting about this vehicle as well is that Jeep seems to be getting in this game uh, with the um, plug-in hybrid electric four-wheel drive thing. Uh, the 4xe Jeeps are supposed to be debuting within the next week or two. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where that kind of slots in, what kind of range they expect to get with those compared to the Outlander. Um, because ultimately, you know, I think this is the takeaway I've had having a plug-in hybrid vehicle, dipping my toes into the EV stuff, is that when you don't really think about it, it's dead simple. It's dead easy. Um, it's great to not have to deal with gasoline if you don't need to. And, you know, if you've got a short commute and you need four-wheel drive, I really don't see a better vehicle than the Outlander PHEV 
right now. And on the used market, these things are going to be a great steal. Now, that being said, I've been keeping an eye on these things on the used market, and they have not dipped as low as what I thought that they would. Uh, you know, considering A, that it's a Mitsubishi, B, that it's the slowest selling car in the United States, and C, that who knows if Mitsubishi is going to be here in three to five years. Um, that's, I think, the big sort of Damocles going on right now with this particular brand and this particular model. Um, but overall, you know, if you're shopping used cars, I, I really don't see a reason not to get it. You know, uh, I think in some, you know, alternate universe where I've got a little bit more money than what I have right now, uh, replacing the Camry with one of these would definitely make some level of sense. So, you know, as these prices continue to dip around 20 grand and below, it's going to be interesting to see if they start to touch on the $12,500, range, uh, even with the low miles that a lot of these units have right now. Um, I think that's going to be a pretty good deal. So we'll keep an eye on it. Anyway, that's about it for news. And you know what? I did promise one other thing, but my, I can already feel my voice starting to slip. So we'll have to save it for another episode. But uh, I do appreciate you guys uh, tuning back in, uh, listening to the show, doing what you do. So if you want to keep up with me and my weird car Twitter shenanigans, you can do so by following me at Iceman. That's Y-S-S-M-A-N on Twitter. Uh, we do car stuff there a lot. And other things as well. Um, you can also follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Um, I used to post these once a week. We'll see if we can get back to that at some point in time. That really seems to depend on my work schedule and uh, finding space in the house to record because uh, my partner still work from home and will be worked from home for the foreseeable future. So yeah, we'll see what ends up happening there. But anyway, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.